We serve a gracious and a loving God, a gracious and a loving God. You know, I was thinking about this moment as we were going to be coming to this close of worship for this part of our service. And as some of you know, we've been away at a conference all week that we get away to every year. We're a part of Elam Fellowship and some of our leaders and we're able to get away and be refreshed and be ministered to. And, and so we thought we'd do a little experiment this year at the conference that we decided that while we're there, we won't brush our teeth. We're going to wear the same outfit all day, every day, whether we're working out or whether we sleep in it, we're never going to change our clothes. We're not going to bathe or take a shower. We're not going to use deodorant or any type of essential oil to cover up the smell for all you oil people out there, right? Now, if we had actually done that, you know just as well as I do, at some point, someone would have said, are you guys okay, right? Is, 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 we're, we would not be doing something that's expected to care for yourself and to make it possible for us to care for other people. Because you know, you don't want your pastor to be someone who doesn't brush his teeth, doesn't change his clothes. You're tracking with me? You're like, if, if, if I'm going to that person for help, I'm expecting some personal hygiene. And you know what else is true? That when we brush our teeth, we're not embarrassed. When we do our laundry, we're not ashamed. Right? When we change our clothes because we've been working out, we don't lie about it to someone else because we don't want them to know. Right? You try, you're with me? It's just the things you're hearing me say right now is maybe we should send him back to the conference because I don't think he's making sense right now. But for some of us, this is how we live our lives on the inside. We live our lives on the inside. There's a hygiene for what's out here, but there's also hygiene for what's in here. And for too many of us, and maybe yourself included, you're embarrassed about needing help with counseling. You're embarrassed about needing medical care when it comes to your emotional well-being. There is a stigma that is attached even in the church for people that suffer from mental illness, and it should not be. It should not be. And so we're excited that tonight you're in for a treat that one of City Life's own, Kim Tree Slaughter, her and her family, important part of this church. She's the founder and creator, and if you start a business, you know, and everything else of Hummingbird Counseling Service, which is a counseling service in the 757 for women. And I just, I'm going to pray just for this moment as they come and get ready, because I'm going to pray for your heart that you're going to be free to get the help that you need to get the help that you need for yourself and also for the people that you're supposed to help because God wants to use you to do it. Father, I pray for every person that's here tonight that's wrestling and struggling with shame because of emotional hurt and trauma from their past or maybe even emotional hurt and trauma in their present. And because of something that someone said, because of bad advice they were given, because of false thought that they agreed with, maybe a whisper from the enemy himself that's led to deception, that's robbed them and kept them for asking for the help. I pray that from tonight's service, from Kim Treese's remarks, that every person in here that needs help is going to find the sense of permission that they need to get the help that they need. And for people that are getting help right now, that are walking in shame and embarrassment, I pray that that's going to be lifted. That they're going to keep availing of themselves to the healing that can come 
Yes, from God, but yes, how he uses others like Kim Treese to care for the soul. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said amen. Hey, as you're being seated, give Kim Treese a warm city like welcome. Am I on? All right. All right. How are we doing? All right. I'm going to tell you all a little story. Mary Carter was a pillar of her community. She spoke for those who couldn't speak for themselves. She empowered people to understand the power of their voice. She was an entrepreneur. She owned a nightclub where all the old heads would go to jam to the sounds of Motown. She owned a restaurant called The Fish House. They didn't serve any seafood. But it was a place where, like that TV show, uh, Cheers, that people want to go where everybody knows their name. She was a giver. She had a best friend who uh, had a little daughter who asked Mary to watch her daughter one day while she ran some errands. And, when, and she, Mary said, of course, but when her friend never returned, Mary didn't call the police, she didn't call CPS, but she raised that little girl as her own. She loved people. She had a food pantry in her home for the little kids in her neighborhood. They would go to her house and eat till their little hearts were content. Many of their parents on drugs with, uh, and had, a, had mental illness, that's illnesses that they refused to address. And so she took care of them. On Sundays, she would sell dinners to keep her food pantry stocked. She would serve macaroni and cheese, collard greens, cornbread, fried chicken. And if you caught her on a good, good Sunday, as she would call it, she had that red Kool-Aid with that half bag of sugar. <laughs> How many of y'all know about that? I think that red Kool-Aid was Jesus' blood. It was so good. It was so good. She was a mentor. She would encourage young women to define the woman that they wanted to be and show up as her every single day. She said, be like her, speak like her, dress like her, live like her. And so, when Mary Carter suddenly passed away, it was like a blow to the chest of her community. And when trauma hits our lives, the brain demands a story to reconcile the pain. And so the stories began. They must have killed her. It was the government, they said. She was doing too much for her community. She was too loud. She was too aggressive. She spoke up too much. They needed to shut her up. But those stories were not true. And neither was the story of the coroner. The coroner said, Mary Carter, cause of death, cardiomyopathy. But no one agreed with that either. She couldn't have had heart disease. That's impossible. She did too much for too many people. She never went back and forth to the doctor. We disagree, the community said. Someone had to kill her. But the truth was, my grandmother, my paternal grandmother, Mary Carter, was a functional dysfunction. See, while she was feeding the kids from the food pantry, she forgot to feed the void in her soul. And while she was caring for other people, she forgot to love herself. And 
so if I could rewrite her death certificate, I would say, Mary Carter, cause of death, brokenness, loneliness, hurt, pain, untapped, undealt with. Functional dysfunction, that is what we're going to talk about today. In her functional dysfunction, she looked functional. She did all those things that I said she did. She was a great person, but no one saw the alcoholism, and no one saw the rage, and no one saw the isolation, and no one saw the low self-esteem. And so when the true story came out, we were all depicted as liars. That couldn't have been who she was. But it didn't see the days and the nights where she refused to come out of her room. And she had her head under the covers for hours and days at a time, and she refused to eat. And whoever went into the room to try to help her out, they would get anything that would fly. She was a functional dysfunction. So you can track with me. I want to define some things for you. I have to find functional dysfunction and functional dysfunction. Functional, capable and positioned to, to serve the purpose for which one was designed or created. Dysfunctional, anything that prevents us from functioning in the manner that God deviates from, that deviates from God's original plan. Functional dysfunction. A person with an emotional or mental inner malfunction who appears on the outside to be emotionally and mentally healthy. I'm not here today to tell y'all that y'all dysfunctional. <laughs> y'all already know that. <laughs> y'all don't need me to tell y'all that. We all are in some way, right? We're born into a world of sin. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In some way, we're all dysfunctional. We all are dealing with something, trying to overcome something, trying to go through something. So I'm not here to tell y'all y'all dysfunctional. I wouldn't do y'all like that. I like y'all too much. So ask me why I'm here, y'all. Say, Kim Trees, why are you here? Say, Kim Trees, why are you here? I'm here to revoke your license. I'm here to revoke your license to make excuses as to why God can't use you because of your dysfunction. I'm here to revoke your license to say, Kim Trees, I've always been like this. This is how God made me. And I would challenge you by saying that God said that you're fearfully and wonderfully made and your soul knows it very well. God says that you are his workmanship. So I revoke your license to make that excuse. I revoke your license to make excuses. For you to say, Kim Trace, well, my mother didn't love me and my father left me. And I would say that you serve a God that will never leave you and never forsake you. That you serve a God of love, peace, patience, kindness, and who will cover you under his wings at all costs. A God who knows every hair on your head. A God who laid down his life for you. I'm here to revoke your license.
We cannot serve both God and dysfunction. 1 Kings 18, 21. Now let me just, I'm going to read that. But let me just say this. I'm going to give y'all this version, and then I'm going to give y'all the KLT version. The Kim Trees Living Translation. Okay? So Ahab, Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. So there's a battle on Mount Carmel. Now at this time, to give you some context, uh, king uh, Ahab was the king at the time who was married to Jezebel. And Ahab served Baal, who was the fourth god, who I call the no-show god. And Jezebel, she served Asherah, who was the god of fertility. They were so jacked up, they couldn't even serve the same god. So they're on Mount Carmel, and Elijah goes up and say, why are y'all wavering? Who do you serve? And so then he says, you know, you built the altar, and we'll build the altar, and we'll see who God shows up with the fire. And they wailed and wailed all day, and they looked crazy, and Baal never showed up because he's the God of the no-show. But the God of the come-through came through. The God of the come-through came through because that's just what he does. How long will you waver between the two? You can't serve God in your dysfunction. We have this saying in the world of psychology, it's called cognitive dissonance. And cognitive dissonance are two things or two ideas that are contradictory of each other. It's like walking around the track eating a bag of Doritos. <laughs> contradictory of each other, right? Your loyalty must be undivided. God will never bow down to your dysfunction. And we should never resolve to surrender to our dysfunction because we serve the God of the come through. So I'm going to talk a little bit about some dysfunctions. I have five of them that are going to be up there. Slide four, I believe. Yeah, there we go. I want to talk about these because these, many of our dysfunctions are up here in our heads. And we, we allow certain thoughts to linger and ruminate in our heads, and they affect how we feel, and they affect our behaviors. So I'm just going to go through these really quickly. Choosing bad friends. Dysfunctional relationships. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. These are people, you know, you always blame it. You're like, yeah, I had all these friends and, you know, all of a sudden, you know, they start acting up, so I had to get rid of everybody. But you're the common denominator. Everybody else had to go, but you're the common denominator. Because sometimes we don't believe that we are good enough for certain friends. We feel like we have to hang around a certain type of people, like we have to be the highest or the most educated or the smartest in the group in order for us to hang out with certain people. Constant poor decision-making. 
Proverbs 26 and 11 says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. Sometimes with decision making, you know, we, we pray for God to validate, validate our mess. Like, Lord, you know, I really, I, I really like him and I, I really want to marry him. And I, you know, I, I know he don't go to church and I know he cursed and I know he got his issues, but I think he's the one. I mean, he, meet all the other, he meets all the other criteria. He's 6'2", he's tall, you know, he got pow, 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 pow muscles. I think, I, I think he the one. And then you start crying because you're like, God is not answering me. And God is like, and I'm not going to answer you, fool. He is not the one. You think I'm, I'm the God of the come through. I'm not going to come through for you like that. Negative self-talk. Speaking negatively about ourselves. Matthew 4 and 4 says, Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from God's mouth. It's not enough for us to know the word of God. Because the devil knows the word of God. We have to know the God of the word. We have to know his heart. We have to know who he really is and how much he really loves us. And I know it's hard for us sometimes, especially those who haven't had their fathers, their, their earthly fathers in their lives. It's very difficult. My father was never there. My father was like a, I call him an intermediate dad. Like he came, he left, he came, he left. So it was very difficult for me to understand the love of a God that I couldn't see. And no one could really explain to me. I mean, they tried, but they really couldn't explain to me when it, till it seeped in my heart, till I got it, till the light came on, until I, 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 I began to build that relationship with him myself. We have to know the word of God. Second Corinthians, this is one of my favorite verses. You know, this is one of my favorite verses because, you know, I get, to, I get to be a little aggressive when I, when I speak, when I speak this word. Second Corinthians 10, 3, 5, it says, for, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Demolish. I love saying that word. Something about that word. Something about that word. It is written that we it is written that we need to battle to keep our thoughts pure, but it is also written that we have the weapons to win the war. See, sometimes we just focus on the struggle, but we don't focus on the answers from the God of the come through. The next one is attention-seeking behaviors. Matthew 6 and 1 says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. These are people who always want to be seen, always want to do something. Oh, let's go put on this event and let's call the news and let's call everybody because I need them to see. This is a sign of brokenness. 
Because you want, you need, you don't want, you need somebody to see you. You need somebody to acknowledge you. You need somebody to say good job. You need somebody to pat you on the back because your mother never did it and your father never did it. And those who God, those who, who, who people who placed in your lives that were supposed to protect you did not do that. So you need that attention for, because you need to know that you're good enough. And God says that we are good enough. We were born good enough. Galatians 1 and 10 says, For I am now seeking the approval of men. Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. One of the messages that I want you all to understand is that God loves you. And that may sound simple, but it's not. Because a lot of us are walking around not understanding that. Not believing it in our hearts and in our minds. See, we say we have faith until it's time to have faith. We say that we trust until it's time to trust. Oh, God, yeah, God, I I give it to you. I I surrender. I'm just going to keep this 5% in case you mess up. The God of the come-through is a God that will show up to your job, do your work for you, stay late, come early, and then give you the pay. That's how the God of the come-through works. And some of us, because we don't believe that God loves us that much, it's hard for us to understand that concept. But there was no man and there was no woman who could love you half as good as God can. Yet we put our faith. We rather we, we would get on the plane, don't know the pilot, just be happy eating our little pretzels and drinking our little soda. We don't know what that pilot was doing last night. He could have been tossing them back, but we have faith that we're going to get where we got to go. We don't question it. We don't say, does he have his license? When is the last time he flown? How much sleep did he get? We don't ask those questions. But when God tells you to do something, God, hold on for a second. We need to talk because what had happened was, see, I, I, I don't know if I'm good enough to do that, right? When God tells us to do something, we immediately turn into Moses. Wait, God. Oh, God. We start rapping. Wait, God. Hold on, hold on, hold on, God. And God is like, you trust the pilot that you don't know, that you've never seen, who never did anything for you? but you don't trust me and my word, your creator? Mm. Disobedience. Hold on, I got to set my water on this. I'm about to drag Saul real quick. So, in uh, 1 Samuel 15... God, t- God gives Saul directions. Specific, because God is very specific. We love to question him, but we know exactly what he's saying when he's saying it. He shouldn't have to repeat himself. So when he told Saul to go into the land and take out 
The Amalek, he's like, go in there. I don't want everything gone. I want everything. I want you to kill all the animals. I don't want nothing breathing. All the fireflies, the mosquitoes, I want everything gone. Take them out. And Saul goes in and does what Saul wants to do. Because see, Saul wanted to be seen. Oh, let me, let me take King Agag alive. Let me, let me keep this livestock, because this livestock look healthy. And here's what God, I need a chair for this, because if God ever say this about me, here's what God said. <laughs> I can't even breathe right now. God says in 1 Samuel 15, then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned away from following me and has not carried out my commands. I don't want God to say regret and Kim Trees and not a sentence at all. O obedience is about us. It's about God's protection for us. And we always think that we got it. We can do it. And God is like, I got it. I can do it. I'm telling you, I'm giving you these directives for a reason, for your safety, for your progression in life, for the calling that I've put on your life. I'm trying to go before you and prepare the way, but you keep hopping in front of me trying to do something and you don't know what you're doing. You refuse to allow me to be the God that I am. But when you go mess it up, then here you go. God, please, please save me, please, please fix it. And then you get mad. Well, God is not answering me. You want time out. Because you don't listen. If we think about our children, when we tell our children to do something, we're not going to put our kids in harm's way. We're not going to tell our kids to go stand in the middle of the street. Whatever we tell our kids to do, when we tell our kids to clean their room, it's for their own safety. They get up in the middle of the night and slip. Then we in the hospital, the emergency room all night. It's for your own safety and my, my mindset, for me, my mental health. <laughs> But when we're dealing with brokenness, it's hard for us to be obedient. And going back to putting faith in, man, I, I was telling Pastor Fred earlier, I was like, you know, I, I'm always bumping heads with pastors. I always find myself debating. I was doing a marriage conference in Hershey Park last year, and, and we, they, we had this round table, and I was bumping heads. Well, he was bumping heads with me. I wasn't bumping heads with him. <laughs> Because I was right and he was wrong. <laughs> you know, he was like, I just feel that, you know, when people are dealing with mental health, they just need to leave it on the altar. And I said, would you, can you just show me what that looks like? How do we just leave something on the altar? Because see, you're telling people that, and they're, try, they're coming up every week, try to leave it on the altar, and they keep getting up with the same mental illness. You can't just leave it on the altar. There's some work you have to do. When you've been through any type of trauma, emotional or physical, you can't just leave it on the altar. So I said to him, me and my smart mouth, I said, I overheard you talking earlier, 
and you told your wife that you forgot your uh, high blood pressure medicine in the, uh, in the room. Why you ain't leave that on the altar? And he said, I'm not going to argue with you. I know you're not, because I am the one. I am the one. All right, so another thing that we do is we use dysfunctions as excuse. We become a prisoner to our dysfunction. Exhibit A. <laughs> Exhibit A. Freedom is a choice. We must choose freedom. Thank you, Jazz and Lyric. Lyric was my editor. Jazz was my prisoner. I needed to make a point. As you can see in this picture, Jazz is holding her dysfunction. She has become a prisoner to her own dysfunction. In many cases, what we call our nature is a long-time dysfunction that we hold ourselves prisoner to. God is calling us out of our prison. If she stepped to the left or stepped to the right, she'd be free. But sometimes that dysfunction feels comfortable. And I tell people that there's no evolution in your comfort zone. And there's no comfort in your zone of evolution. I tell people all the time, you know, your Christianity is not your concealer. If you became a Christian to hide your dysfunction, you became a Christian for the wrong reason. Because God going to deal with you. And that Christianity going to expose your dysfunction. We have to be aware of our dysfunctions. And we have to be willing to deal with our dysfunctions. I was, I was saying um, last, uh, this, well, I was writing and I was saying, but like, last week when Fred was talking, I was like, man, he all up in my message. <laughs> like, get him, Vanessa, he all up in my message. Get your boy. <laughs> Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by test, by that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. We must expose the dysfunction in order to complete the mission. We're all here on a mission. We're all here on a mission. We're here for something, to serve people with the gifts that God has given us. What's your problem, I ask people? What problem are you here to solve with your gifts? What's your problem? So now I want to give y'all a first aid kit before we go. I want to give y'all a first aid kit. In order to deal with your dysfunction, you have to first acknowledge that you have a dysfunction. My grandmother would not acknowledge that she had a problem. Therefore, she would never go and get help. So you have to acknowledge that you have a dysfunction. You have to decide to change. You have to decide that you have work to do. 
I encourage people not to take ownership of their dysfunction because I don't want you to think that it's who you are, like it's internal when it really is existential. Don't take ownership of it, but take responsibility for it. It's something that I have to work through. You have to decide to change. Then you have to address the root of the problem. And you have to understand that just because you're successful in certain areas, it doesn't mean that you don't need to deal with your dysfunction because success never healed anyone, and neither did money. I have people sitting on my couch that make millions of dollars and will come in my office and cry for 45 minutes straight. And I'm like, girl, did you see the car you pulled up in? What you crying for? You take my HHR. But success never healed anyone. You have to address the root of the problem, the root and not the leaves. Because when the weather changed, the leaves come back. So for me, I had to address, address my anger. Like I was angry, and anger wasn't the problem, trauma was the problem. So when I started to address the trauma, I was able to control the anger. Don't get it twisted, though. I still am working through it, okay? I'm still a little dysfunctional. All right, the next one is a big one because this is another one I argue with pastors a lot. And I'm fine because I'm, 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 I'm fine arguing. Um, take medication. I tell people, you know, if you, if you have a dysfunction, like something that you need to take medication for, then you need to take medication. It doesn't mean that something's wrong with your faith. It just means you need to take medication. Acts 19, 11, and 12 says, this is Paul, right? I just want to show you the, the, the power and the, the, the connection that Paul had with God. He says, it says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Now let's go to 1 Timothy 5 and 23. When, when Timothy is having some stomach ailments, the same Paul that had handkerchiefs and aprons going out, he didn't pray for Timothy. He didn't say, come in, Timothy, leave it on the altar. He said, drink some wine for your stomach infirmities. Take your medicine. God uses natural remedies in the work of doctors and counselors in healing, as well as supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. They do not contradict each other. The next one, find yourself a good therapist. Where's Jim Miller at? Hey, girl, where you at? Oh, you ain't in here? Okay. Find yourself a good therapist. There's nothing wrong with going to therapy. A good therapist will not give you answers, but they will give you insight. They will help you see what the real problem is and work through it. So last week when I said Fred was all up in my business, I want you to also realize that when it comes to mental health, there's a lot going on in the mind, a lot going on chemically. And when we talk about the generosity and the good stewardship, 
We have to be good stewards of our mental health as well as our physical health. A lot of times uh, when you talk about chronic stress, it comes from us not being good stewards over the thing that God has given us. He give you, you know, he give you a certain amount of money and you don't spend it right. But let the church ask for an offering, you going crazy. Because we, when I was, when I was young, I was P.O., I was PO. I, was in, I didn't have enough for the other O.R. And so when I, when I got older and I began making money, my mindset was still poor. I had a scarcity mindset, so when I got money, I would spend money on me, buy everything for me. And if somebody asked me for something, oh, I ain't got it, I ain't got it, mm-mm, I ain't got it. But when I got saved, I realized that I was using money as a lifeline and not a resource. God is my lifeline. Money is the resource. God is the lifeline that keeps on giving, keeps on giving. But if you use money as a lifeline, it's going to come and go. Assess your mindset around money. Move confidently. Understand who your God is and move confidently. Always be gracious. Have a spirit of gratitude. There's always something to be gracious for. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 5, 16 through 18 says, rejoice, and all, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Victor Frankl, uh, author of Man's Search for Meaning, if you did not read that book, it is an amazing book. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Understand that God is your source. In Genesis, when God created the fish, he spoke to the sea. When God created vegetation and, and fruit with seeds and trees, he spoke to the land, he spoke to the earth. But when God created me and you, he spoke to himself. He is our source. You take a fish out of the water, it begins to die. You pull a flower, no matter how beautiful it is, you pull a flower out the ground, it begins to die. You take us apart from our Savior, we begin to die. He is our habitat. We must reside in his grace. We cannot flourish outside of his grace, outside of his presence. He is our source, and apart from him, we can do nothing. We'll call the worship team back up. <laughs> Said I was going to stick to this time, Pastor Fred. <laughs> Hannah said I could do two hours. Where she at? Don't abandon me now, Hannah. <laughs> Don't abandon me now. I need you. Okay. So I want to read this, these quotes um, that stood out for me in my, my study, and I thought these were really important because I said in the beginning that I wanted you to understand something. If you didn't understand anything else, there is a stigma on mental health. And the Bible says to love your neighbor as you love yourself. As you love yourself. If you don't first love yourself, you have nothing to give to your neighbor. 
take your medicine, go see, a, a, who, whatever you need to do, you go do that. You don't make, let anyone make you feel guilty for it. When I needed to go to therapy, I was getting my bag and my copay, let's go. Because I need to take care of me because I have a problem in this world to fix and I can't fix it if I'm broken. Oh, I can't fix it if I'm not working through my stuff. In a letter from Bur the Birmingham jail, Martin Luther King said this. In that dramatic scene on Cowrie's Hill, three men were crucified. We must never forget that all three were crucified for the same crime, the crime of extremism. Two were extremists for immorality and thus fell below their environment. The other, Jesus Christ, was an extremist for love and goodness and thereby rose above his environment. Mahatma Gandhi said, a man who was completely innocent offered himself up as a sacrifice for the good of others, including his enemies, and became the ransom of the world in what was a perfect act of love. A Genevan philosopher, Jean-Jacques Rousseau said, if Socrates lived and died as a philosopher, then Jesus lived and died as a God. Hmm. I heard someone say that Jesus lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we should have died. And he gives the gifts that we don't deserve. Yeah. If I could, rewrite, if I could write Jesus' certificate of death, If I asked people, what do you think killed Jesus? Most people would say he was crucified. Crucifixion killed them. And I would disagree just as much as I disagreed what was on the death certificate of my grandmother. If I could rewrite the death certificate of Jesus, it would say, Jesus Christ. Lord of lords, King of kings, my shepherd, my lion, my lamb, my love, cause of death, love. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to be your ambassador. I pray, Lord, that everyone under the sound of my voice, Father, has opened their hearts to hear the word that you had for them today. And I pray that if anyone is dealing with any type of mental illness, whether it be stress or anxiety or depression, I pray, Lord, that they would submit themselves to you, Father, that they would submit themselves to your direction, God, and they would get the help that they need, that they would not worry about this, the stigma that is on mental health because the stigma is only keeping them away from the calling, God. And I pray, Lord, that their purpose be higher than the word of man. And I pray, Lord, that they would come to you and they would open their hearts and it will be obedient to your word, and they will seek the help that they need. Amen.